Luke chapter 4 is going to be our text this morning, chapter 4, verse 31, and we're going to go through chapter 5, verse 32. We're walking through, uh, preaching from the book of Luke in different places, trying to figure out a good, healthy pace, trying to cover Jesus' life for you. And remember, in the fall, we covered the story of God. You can go listen to those messages if you weren't with us in the fall or if you missed some. Uh, We have a podcast on iTunes. We've got links to that on our website. But go listen to those sermons. But we've been trying to show this big story of God and what God's doing. And now we're here on the life of Christ. And we're trying to say, who is Jesus? What did he do? How did people respond? And how should we respond? So, This morning, as we come to Luke chapter 4, verse 31, I want to stop and I want to pray before uh, we start talking about God's word. Father, we believe that the scriptures are your words. We believe that we need your words. Father, would you open up our eyes and show us your glory this morning in your word. Speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 4, verse 31, all the way through chapter 5, verse 32. And you may be saying, what ties all these things together? What, <clears throat> what's going to tie all these short stories together? If your Bible's like mine, you've got different headings, uh, maybe every 7, 8, 10 verses. It kind of tells you what the next story is going to be about. And you may, if you read ahead and look at those headings, go, okay, where are we going? How does all this unite together under one sermon? And that's what I want to start off talking about this morning. How how is this whole thing united together? Well, when you read all of these different stories, you see something extremely unique. You, You see different realms of brokenness. You see different realms of brokenness. Start with me right here in verse 31 of Luke 4. It says, He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. In some of the other gospels, the writers write, and they actually say that he wasn't teaching like the scribes and the Pharisees. They make that extra note of detail. So it's not that they've never heard teaching, but it's that they've never heard teaching quite like Jesus. They've heard other teaching, just quite frankly, not so good. Then if you keep reading, you see that while he's in the synagogue, there's a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. That's brokenness, right? So we've already actually seen two realms of brokenness. One is the brokenness of the fact that there's not teaching good enough, that people are astonished at his teaching. Why? Because they've had a lack of it in their own life. And then here we see the brokenness of an evil spirit, an unclean demon that's possessed a man. I want you to skip down with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 38. It says that Jesus arose, left the synagogue, he went to Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. If you skip down to verse 40, you see that <clears throat> all who were sick in that region, so many who were sick, were coming to Jesus with various diseases. Again, you see brokenness, right? You see the brokenness of sickness. Keep reading with me into chapter 5. <clears throat> you see in chapter 5, Jesus is teaching from a boat. In the first few verses, he goes and sits in a boat. There's so many people who want to hear his teaching. So he says, hey, you guys, fishermen, you got some boats. How about I get in your boat? You go out a little bit so everyone can hear me. So he goes out. When he's done teaching, he turns to Simon, who later you read his name is Peter. It's the same person. He says, hey, let your nets down. And Simon says, man, we've toiled all night and taken nothing. 
brokenness, right? Identify with this for a second. Peter was a fisherman. Peter worked a whole shift and had nothing to show for it. Brokenness in his work, brokenness in his job, fruitlessness, something he's done his whole life. And how many days do you think we're like that? That's Luke chapter five, and that's verse four where he says, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Keep going and you get to chapter five, verse 12. It says that while Jesus is in one of the cities, a man full of leprosy comes to him. And he falls on his face and begs him to make him clean. Do you know what the Bible says about leprosy, about these skin diseases? You can go read about it in the book of Leviticus. And in chapter, I think it's 12 or 13, 13, Leviticus 13, 42 through 46. Leprosy was a disease that made you unclean, untouchable. You had to go stay outside the camp. And if you walked around people, you had to literally shout, unclean, because you couldn't go near people because it was so contagious. If you touched anyone, that person that you touched became unclean as well. Brokenness. People were not meant to live like that. You keep reading and you you see a paralyzed man who's so desperate for healing, his friends are so desperate for him that they drop him in to the roof of where Jesus is teaching. This is Luke 5, starting in verse 17. It says that he's teaching the Pharisees, he's teaching the teachers, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And then in verse 18, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. This broken, this man couldn't walk. He was broken. And then in verses 27 through 32, you see Jesus associating with tax collectors and sinners. And he was looked down upon by the Pharisees because of that. There was social brokenness. Two groups of people said, I don't associate with the other. I don't live life with you. Look at the pervasive brokenness in every realm of life. But let this come home to you for a minute. Look first with me at the brokenness in our lives when it comes to teaching and wisdom. Aren't we all looking for guidance in some way? Don't we all have questions we want the answers to? I mean, whether it's something little like you've got to make decisions today. You've got to make decisions this week and this month and this year. Where, where are you turning to to make those decisions? What are you basing those decisions on? What sort of wisdom are you living your life from? We, we want answers to big questions in life, right? Like, who do I marry and where should I move and what job should I take? We're going somewhere to find the answers to those questions. And the reality is that at some point, you're going to make a wrong decision. Your wisdom that you're leaning on is going to lead you in the wrong way. There's brokenness in our world when it comes to Wisdom. There's times that we don't know what to do, but even worse, there's sometimes we know exactly what to do and we don't want to do it. That's true brokenness. But then when you keep reading, you you see the brokenness of the evil spirits that conflict our age. I know this is a weird topic, and as I was reading this week, it was like, you just kind of feel weird talking about it. You have these horror movies and movies about exorcisms, and that's tainted our view of it. And then kind of the church, and, and me personally, is taking a stance. Sometimes it's like, let's just move and not talk about it. I think Al handled it extremely well when we were walking through the book of Ephesians as he talked about spiritual warfare. But spiritual warfare is a real thing. You can go read Ephesians chapter 2 and the first couple verses talk about the prince of the power of the air. 
The scriptures talk about Satan exists to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There truly is an unseen realm of life that is at battle with us, conflicting us. This is brokenness, and this exists in us. There's spiritual warfare really happening in your life this very moment to distract you away from the things of God. Look at the brokenness of sickness. We could all tell stories of how sickness has tainted our life, some in very extreme ways. Some can tell stories of family members or friends or spouses or children. Their sickness has led to death. I mean, we're brought into this world experiencing the fragility of our lives. How fragile is a baby needing to be born in a hospital under extreme medical care because sicknesses are so prevalent in their lives. And then as you live, there's constantly sickness. Sickness has been a theme in our house the last few weeks. Carrie's not here again, third Sunday in a row, she's staying home because all of our kids are sick. So many of you asked in the early days when we got CC and Corinthian, how can we be praying for you? How can we be, you know, what can we do? Uh, now we know some really specific ways. Pray for us to be healthy. Uh, if you have a lot of kids, you know what that's like, where it just gets passed around and there's nothing you can do. Uh, Carrie and I have been pretty healthy, but boy, that's been a theme in our life. And it's bringing brokenness. Carrie's not able to come and gather with you all. She's longing to be here. When our kids are broken, if, if you've met Cece, you know how off the wall she is. And Carrie sent me a picture this morning of her laying in the chair doing nothing. I mean, that's not how her life's supposed to be, right? Sickness makes things broken. Some of us extreme ways, some of us daily inconveniences. But no matter what, sickness still comes. And it still comes even to people who don't deserve it. That's how pervasive brokenness is in our world. Go on into Luke chapter 5 and let's talk about work for a minute. Let's talk about the brokenness and how brokenness invades our work lives. Look what happens right here. When, when Peter fishes all night, catches nothing, and then Jesus tells him to put his fish, or drop his nets again and, and catch fish. And he says, Master, we told all night it took nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. After a long day's work, have you ever looked back and thought, well, that was a complete waste of time? Maybe you can be like Peter in that moment. Maybe you can look back over a week or over a year or over an entire season of life and wonder, did I waste all that time working that job? Our kids ask me all the time why I go to work in the morning. Because they don't want me to go and they don't understand that it happens every day. And I say, I'm going to work. And they say, why? And it's tempting to say, I'm going to make money. Well, that's part of what happens when you go to work. And sometimes you have to have a job where that is your only motivation because you're trying to provide. But it makes me wonder every day on my ride into work, why do I go to work? And I think one of two things can always happen in our jobs. Sometimes we can work so much for our own selfish desires that it's provided so well for us that we can't afford to lose our jobs. We can't afford to walk away from what our jobs mean to us. On the other hand, our jobs can sometimes become so difficult and meaningless and fruitless that we can't afford to have it. Our jobs can crush us or make us. And I think we've all experienced that teeter-totter, right? 
Sometimes jobs are so difficult that we could not imagine working another day for our employer. And I think that's what happens with work. That's how brokenness comes into our jobs. Our job can make it so that we can't afford to lose it or it can break us so that we can't afford to have it. It's extremely difficult to maintain a balance in our jobs. Look at the brokenness in the life of the leper here. He's untouchable, so desperate that he comes face to face with another human, which he had to have known that was a no-no. But he was desperate and he came to Jesus and he begged him, if you will, you can make me clean. And we already talked about the social brokenness, but how does this look in our lives? The social chasms, the social lines, the fault lines. I mean, you could look geographically, you could lay down a map of Atlanta, and I think we could all draw some social fault lines. Starting very generally, maybe with the airport north and south. Maybe you can get inside the perimeter. Maybe you can draw some social fault lines of where you do or don't want to go to school in metro Atlanta. I mean, I think we can do that, right? Why is East Cobb a coveted place to live? Because the schools are incredible. That's a good thing. We've got to celebrate that. But we've also just got to be aware that there's some social fault lines. There's brokenness. When people groups decide not to cross, that's why it was so beautiful when Al experienced all these languages singing, worthy is the lamb, because these social, ethnic, geographic fault lines were crossing over together and saying, we're united about something. That's beautiful. Brokenness is when those groups come together and they say, we hate one another. Brokenness is everywhere, but... I think it all hits home in this story of the paralyzed man because the place where brokenness all begins is with sin. Look at what Jesus says when they carry the paralyzed man in. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and he says, great is your faith, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees look around and they say in verse 21, Luke 5, 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let's, let's be creative, okay? We're reading a story. Do you think the Pharisees and the scribes were the only people questioning what Jesus did in that moment? A paralyzed man is so desperate to get healed that his friends carry him in from the roof. Jesus looks and forgives his sins. If I'm paralyzed man or his friends, then I'm sitting there going, uh, thanks, but, but he's still laying there. Like That's not really why I brought him. Appreciate the sins being forgiven, but there's a more obvious need right here. But Jesus was making a point, and he tells them, okay, what's more difficult, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? What's well, more difficult to say rise and walk? I can say your sins are forgiven, and you don't really know right there, flesh and blood, did that work? Did that not work? I mean, we'll have to wait until you die and stand before God to see if your sins are forgiven. But if I say rise and walk, you can tell right then if it was effective. So then he uses that to say, so rise up and walk. And he does. He stands up, takes his mat, and walks out. What's Jesus saying? He's using the miracle of healing this man to say, I have the authority to forgive sins. He knew this man's greater brokenness went beyond his paralyzed state and went into his soul that he was sinful. See, all brokenness in our life begins with our brokenness in our relationship with God. So if we're wondering, how do all these texts from Luke 431 to 532, how do they all fit together? I think they all fit together under the heading of brokenness. In 
every realm you could imagine, in every realm of your life, I'm sure there are stories you could tell of incredible brokenness in all of these areas and more. So the reality is that we are in desperate need of someone to fix our brokenness. If you're anything like me, my default is to try to fix it. Carrie tells me all the time. She said it yesterday. She said, stop trying to fix this. And I said, hey, I'm actually preaching about that tomorrow. She's like, you should try to live it for a change. (laughs) But that's my default. She tells me something's wrong, and I'm like, well, we could do this. Okay, well, have you thought about this? And she's like, I just need you to feel bad. I'm like, okay, I'll feel bad, but we could maybe change this. And I have this mentality that like, if I could have a conversation with you, I could change you. If, if, if my will came to be, it would usher the world into the golden age. Right? That's one way we react when we see brokenness is we think, I think I have a path that can get me out of brokenness. The other way we react is that maybe we so distrust everyone else's authority that by default we end up at our own. That's kind of what our world trains us to do, right? Is to distrust the authority of everyone else. So when we're experiencing brokenness, we think government's not going to help me. Family's not going to help me. Friends are not going to help me. Everybody's burned me. I can't trust anybody. So that ends up being you're left, not because you necessarily think you're the greatest, but maybe your experiences have led you to realize that there's no other way you can go when you're in brokenness and you've got to do something. At the end of the day, when we experience brokenness, which we all do, we all have, we all will. When we experience brokenness, the question is begged of us, what will get us out? Who, here's the question, who has the authority to restore my brokenness? That's the question that's posed in all of these texts. Who has the authority to give me wisdom, to cast out the evil spirit, to heal sickness? Who has the authority to make my job matter? Who has the authority to touch a leper? Who has the authority to forgive sins? Who has the authority to cross social fault lines and associate with the hated? Who has the authority to restore our brokenness? Jesus. The text leads us to Jesus. It shows us brokenness. Shows us brokenness in our life and shows us the one who has the authority to change it all. Look at him. He he has the authority, right? They say his very words have authority. See, the scribes and Pharisees, when they taught, they like to quote older scribes and Pharisees. They like to use someone else's teaching and kind of piggyback on it. So what they're amazed at with Jesus' teaching is that they say, His words have authority. Not the words of someone he's quoting, but his very words, authority. Wow, that's amazing. And then they say later on, when he casts out the evil spirit, they say, what is, this is Luke chapter four, verse 36. When he casts out this evil spirit, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits? Then go down and look where he's with Jesus, or he's, Jesus is with Simon's mother-in-law. He stood over her, and what does he do to cast out the, the fever? Rebukes it. He uses his word again. I think there's a theme here of Jesus' word having power. He rebukes the sickness. He has authority over 
the sicknesses. Then look at what he does with Peter. And Simon Peter, who's fishing, he says, put down your nets. Let's finish the story. He says, put down your nets. And what happens? He says, we've done it all night, but sure, at your word, there's the theme again, at your word, I'll drop the nets. He drops the nets. He pulls it up. Too much fish for his boat to carry. He's got to call the other boats to come and help. Jesus has the authority to redefine our job. Now, what that does not mean is let Jesus redefine your job and he'll take you from fruitless to fruitful. He'll take you from failure to success. He'll take you from nothing to rich. He'll take you from no catch to the greatest catch of fish. That's not what it's saying. Because when you finish that story, Jesus tells Peter to leave it all and come and follow him, and he does. What Jesus is saying with his authority in this story in Luke 5, 1 through 11 He's telling Simon, whether you've caught nothing or whether you've caught the greatest catch you could ever fathom, neither mean anything unless you're doing a far greater work. And the greater work is to follow me. The way your work matters, whether it's fruitless or fruitful, is that you're following Jesus in it. Jesus has the authority to redefine your job. And that's what he does right here with Simon Peter. You keep going, and Jesus has the authority to reverse uncleanness. What should have happened when Jesus touches the leper in Luke 5, 12, when he touches the leper, what should have happened was Jesus became unclean because the uncleanness was contagious. But listen to this. This is unbelievable. When Jesus touches the leper, instead of Jesus catching his sickness, the leper catches his cleanness. Jesus has such authority over sicknesses that when he touches a leper, the leper is cleansed. Everyone was expecting Jesus to become unclean in that moment. But our Savior is so pure and so clean, that could have never happened. His purity is contagious. He has authority over what makes us unclean. Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. He uses the miracle to show it there too. But we still have a problem. We have brokenness and we need someone with the authority to fix it. But authority alone will not fix our brokenness. Just because someone can change our circumstance does not mean they will or they want to. Insert illustration about government shutdown here. Plenty of people had the authority to lay down pride, lay down politics, and end it, right? There was no compassion to end it. So we don't need just someone with the authority who can do it. We need need someone with the compassion who wants to do it. And Jesus has both. And you see it in this text that he enters into the brokenness of the people. He walks in the room of Simon's mother-in-law. He touches the leper. He changes what happens to Peter's catch that day. Jesus does not just have the authority to change us. He has the compassion that matches his authority and brings it about. The key of all this text, that if you're reading it, you've wondered why has he skipped over this, is Luke 4, 42 through 44. It's at this text when he says this, when he was day, he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him. And came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. 
This is the key of this whole passage because what he's doing, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. Sometimes kingdoms are not good news to people because the people in power don't like some people. But the good news about our King Jesus is that he has total authority and infinite compassion. So the news about his authority, the news about his kingdom is good news. Remember what we read last week from Isaiah 61? He's here to heal and to forgive and to bring restoration. So the news of his kingdom is incredible news. See, we need someone with authority and compassion, and Jesus brings them both. This is what sets them apart, that he reaches out to us and brings restoration. So Jesus' news of the kingdom is good news because authority plus compassion equals restoration. He uses his authority to bring meaningful restoration to our lives by bringing us underneath his perfect and compassionate authority. So when we see Jesus in this text, what have we been asking? Who is Jesus? How did people respond and how should we respond? Who do we see Jesus to be? The compassionate king. With all authority and with the compassion to use it for good, for our good. We see Jesus as the compassionate king. So how does this come home to us in our hearts? First, you can be forgiven. Let's apply what we've seen. There's brokenness everywhere. You cannot escape it. We need someone with the authority who can change it, and we need someone with the compassion who desires to change it. That is Jesus. So our brokenness, the authority and compassion of Jesus, what does this change in us? First, you can be forgiven. In our house, we never, ever try to say it's okay when someone apologizes. Sometimes there's an apology and it's like, no, it's okay, like you don't need to apologize. But if there's a genuine need for an apology, it's okay, I don't think is ever the right answer. Because it was not okay. When one of our kids hit another kid, it, it wasn't okay. The right answer is, I forgive you. I'll absorb the wrong you did to me. I, I received it. I got it. It was wrong. You're apologizing. I forgive you. It was not okay. I hope you don't do it again. But I forgive you. We can receive the forgiveness of Jesus. See, the one that we have sinned against is eager to forgive us of those sins. That's what Jesus shows as he heals the paralyzed man. He has the authority to look at everything we've done in the past, everything we will do in the future, and still love us. When we confess our sin to Jesus, the way he forgives us is not by saying, oh, that's okay. No, he looks at us and he says, that was wrong. It was sin and you should not have done that. You should not have lived like that. You should not have loved those things. But I'll absorb it, forgive you, and still love you anyway. With the authority of Jesus, you can experience forgiveness. So many people in our world actually think the opposite. That, that Christianity is all these rules to follow and all these ways to live and you have to fall in line the certain way or God's gonna be mad at you and angry at you and actually the exact opposite is true. Go read the book of Galatians that Pastor Al was talking about. Exactly the theme he was talking about. Grace. That's what Jesus uses his authority to do. He doesn't use his authority to lord it over you and say, come on, you need to change, you need to get better, you need to clean yourself up and then come talk to me. He uses his authority to stoop down and say, hey, 
I'm the ultimate authority that you've wronged and I forgive you. So because of Jesus' authority and compassion, you can be forgiven. Number two, you can rest in Jesus' total authority. This is good news. You don't have to live with the weight of everything on your shoulders. You don't have to have every answer. You don't have to know everything. It's okay if you don't know what to do next. Uh, What I'm trying to say is it's okay if you're weak. It's okay if you're inadequate. It's okay if you're limited. Because the one with all authority and all wisdom is with you. You don't have to be God. Let's confess with John the Baptist. When they came to him, they they didn't know who he was, and they said, okay, are you the Christ? He says, I am not the Christ. I am not the one with all the answers. I am not the one who's claiming to be infinite and perfect and all wise. You don't have to be either. When we pray with our kids every night, we pray that they will grow up to know and love God put their faith in him and serve them. Then we pray, I pray that they would get a good night's rest and that one day they would learn to rest in you. What is rest? It's doing nothing. You're not answering your phone. You're not keeping your business running. You're not giving somebody answers. You're really not being productive at all. You're unconscious. So what does it mean when you rest and you sleep? You're getting nothing done and the world is still spinning. Rest is a declaration of trust that God is holding all things together and he doesn't need me. The good news today is that you can come and find rest in Jesus. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can find rest in Jesus and stop carrying around the weight of everything in your life. Lay it at the feet of the king who has all authority. Number three, We can have hope. Jesus is giving us beautiful glimpses of the kingdom coming with all these miracles. As he heals, everyone he heals, he's showing us one day I'm going to do this for everybody. Every sickness that he reverses, he's saying one day I'm going to do this for everybody. Every time he's doing a miracle, he's saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. When it comes in full, this is going to happen for all of my followers. He's giving us glimpses into heaven so we can know now in our brokenness, in our suffering, this is not the best it will ever be. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't feel like you have to make yourself at home with how broken everything is. You don't. It's okay to feel tension. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to hurt in your suffering and in your brokenness because this is not the way things should be. Jesus is promising that one day he will make everything as it should be. He's giving us little pictures of it in the Gospel of Luke with all of these miracles. So you can have hope in the midst of unbelievable suffering. You can have hope. Not answers. Not reasons why. Not an easy path. But you can have hope in the midst of it all. Paul says in Romans 5 that, he says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. How do you rejoice in sufferings? Well, we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And listen to what he says about hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And then he goes on to describe the great love that God's given to us. Hope in God will not put you to shame. Hope that puts you to shame is when you're hoping in something. You think about the scene of a movie. Maybe this was your story. The scene of a movie where the kid's in a broken home and he's waiting for one of his parents to come and pick him up. It's the Saturday with dad or with mom. An hour after hour passes and it never comes. The kid's hope was in his parent to come and pick him up and the parent never came. His hope put him to shame. He's, he's ashamed that his parent never came and got him. His hope left him empty. That's not what your hope in God does. Your hope in God is that he will fix everything and he will. He will not leave you waiting. He will not leave you to be put ashamed by your hope. The authority of Jesus is so expansive that he will one day lay claim to everything under the sun and he will bring it all under his authority. And what does that mean? Go back, authority and compassion. When he brings everything under his authority, what is he doing? He's restoring it. He's bringing restoration out of what's broken. That's what our Savior does. So you can have forgiveness, you can rest, you can have hope, and the fourth thing is that you can follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus. Look what he says after Peter has this incredible catch. He recognizes, oh my goodness, you're someone divine. Peter doesn't really know what to say, so he falls to his knees and he says in Luke 5, verse 8, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And as you go on, this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You'll be fishers of men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We can leave everything and follow Jesus. We can leave everything in his hands and follow Jesus. That doesn't mean we have to quit our jobs, but what that does mean is that whether our jobs are fruitless or fruitful, we know that our greater purpose is that we're following the purposes of Jesus. We know whether you're employed or unemployed, your greater work in this life is to follow the purposes of Jesus. So you're free to follow after him. And that's exactly what he does also in chapter five, verses 27 through 32. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Now they're hated. The way they made money was by taking more than that was due. So people hated them. So he says to Levi, follow me. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Following Jesus is not a way for you to declare that you're good enough to follow him. Following Jesus is a declaration that he's worthy to be followed. It says more about him than it does you. You don't follow him because you got it. You follow him because you need him. You follow him because you've recognized that he has all authority, he has incredible compassion, and he's worthy to be followed. 
So his authority and his compassion comes home into our life because you can be forgiven. And I want to invite you this morning to find the forgiveness of your sins. You can rest. Some of you need to come lay down burdens you're carrying that you do not need to be carrying. The weight of the world is not on your shoulders. Sometimes the best news we can hear sometimes is you're wrong. You're not right. That's not the right way to go. It's not depending on you. Come find rest. Some of us need hope because we're walking through suffering and brokenness right now. And I want to invite you this morning to come find your hope in Jesus. And last, we all need to follow Jesus. I hope that I've as we've seen his authority and his compassion, it compels us to want to follow him. We really simply at Shalford say that a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and joining Jesus on mission. And that's what we see in this text. When we follow him, we leave everything else in our life that defines us. Then we're able to join in him, in his work, on his mission, for his purposes. And we don't, have to try to create our own purposes or find out what the meaning of my life is. He defines it for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness. Let us not overlook, God, how, how simple some of your attributes are. That God, you're kind. You want to be nice to us, God. God, you're loving and you're gentle towards us. Oh God, thank you for Jesus, for sending him, the one who has authority over everything, the one who created the heavens and the earth. You sent him to humble himself so that you could bring restoration to us, God. We didn't deserve restoration. We're living in brokenness. Things should only spiral more out of control if it weren't for you. Thank you, God. Would you lift up our chins this morning, God? Would you steady our weak knees, God? Would you give us eyes to see who you are in the cloudiness of our daily busyness, our daily troubles, our daily trials, our daily suffering, the hard things in life? Would you give us clarity of vision to see you in it all? God, I pray that you would call some people this morning to come and receive the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus. God, would you call the specific people you know here this morning that need to find rest in Jesus and stop carrying unnecessary weight and burdens? God, would you call the specific people who need to be filled with hope to find it in Christ? God, would you call all of us to drop our nets and follow you, Jesus, and find our purpose in your greater purposes? We love you, God, but only because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.